Crude oil is crude. Natural gas is pure. That's why Pennzoil's base oil is made from natural gas, not crude. It gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil. Based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. Pardon the interruption, but I'm Mike Wilbon. It's National Drink Wine Day, Tony. Will you be enjoying a bottle tonight? I'm Tony Kornheiser. In addition to the two I just had, is that what you're yeah, asking me? I'm worried about you. Yeah, no, I'm going to be fine. I would like to tell people if they want to send wine to me, not, not that I'm asking for it, but they do, I prefer red wine. I am not, Mike, I'm not a big white wine guy. Pinot Grigio I've never is okay. seen you drink white wine, even I don't, in the summer. Yeah, it's it's rare. I much prefer red wine, Pinot okay. Noir. We got you. Yeah, just in case anybody Solicitation Holmes. Yeah, welcome to PTI, boys and girls. In today's episode, Joe Burrow sounds iffy on the Bengals. Nick Markakis says the Astros need a beating. And Roy Williams, old Roy, drops an F-bomb. But we begin today with Drew Brees announcing on Instagram that he intends to come back and play for the Saints in 2020. Brees led the NFL in completion percentage last year and became the league's all-time leader in touchdown passes. But he got hurt early. He only played in 11 games, and he had a poor playoff in the Saints' loss to Minnesota. Wilbon, what does Brees coming back mean for the Saints and for Teddy Bridgewater and for Taysom Hill? Well, in order, Tony, um, it means the Saints, if Brees is healthy, are automatic serious contenders. Absolutely. Again, I mean, that's, yes. We could just, we could just fast forward to that, right? Yes. Uh, for Teddy Bridgewater, it means he, in this sort of physical prime of his career, probably ought to find someplace else to play unless Breeze is whispering in his ear, I'll do one more, stick around. And for Taysom Hill, if Bridgewater goes elsewhere, and I think he should, Hill moves up to two on the depth chart. One would presume, though not automatically so. In New Orleans, so that's that's how I sort of see all this unfolding. Can't can't possibly disagree with any of that. You're a contender immediately if you have Drew Brees. I don't care if you had a bad playoff. Yeah, in recent years, uh, NFL officials have taken away more games from the Saints than the Saints have given away to somebody else. They always find a way to lose in some sort of a bad call. There's probably a notion out there, Mike, that the Saints need to sort of prepare for a transition down the road. But if you're a good team. And you have Drew Brees. You want to win now. You're not, you're no. not worried right about now. two years from now. It's no. only good teams that can say, I can win right now. And Brees gives you that. I Honestly, I never thought he was going to retire because he'd had such he a was good too year. Good. Yeah. Tony, I told you during Super Bowl week, um, I ran into Terry Bradshaw. And Bradshaw knows something about Super Bowls yeah. and playing as you get older. And Terry just said, listen to me. There's zero chance Drew Brees can retire coming off that season. Yeah, yeah. And I told you that day I believed Terry Bradshaw, and I did, and he's right. I agree with it. Totally agree with him. Everybody, and by everybody I mean everybody in the whole wide world seems to want Joe Burrow to flex his muscles and go anywhere but Cincinnati. All kinds of former Bengals are weighing in and reminding Burrow that the Bengals are usually a mess. Burrow told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, quote, I do have leverage and said, quote, if the Bengals select me, they select me, close quote. Meanwhile, Burrow's mom said the family has no idea where the sentiment that Burrow doesn't want to play for Cincinnati is coming from. Tone, what are you reading into all of this? Well, I mean, I know that his dad has already said that if Joe is selected by Cincinnati, he'll be happy to play for. When his mom says, I don't know where it's coming from, it's coming from your boy. 
I mean, I've not yet heard Joe Burrow say, I'm a proud son of Ohio. I want to play for Cincinnati. I hope they draft me. I haven't heard that. This is, you know, what I've heard is they have a process and I have a process. I have not heard anything from Joe Burrow that definitively says, I want to play for Cincinnati. Look, Mike, there are two choices here. He can stand up and he can say, in the spirit of John Elway and Eli Manning, I'm not playing there. Don't draft me. Get rid of me. Trade my rights. Or if he doesn't do that and they draft him, he can go play. But there's no door number three here, Mike. There's no door number three. Tony, I mean, I think this is a totally made-up story. I've also not heard him say he wants to go anywhere else. That's right. And by the way, the kid is not obliged to give up his leverage. Why should he go up there and declare his undying love to Cincinnati now? He maintains some leverage if down the road he wants to exercise it. But he hasn't done that so far. What is his leverage? Annoy the hell out of me. What is his leverage? His leverage is I'm the best player in the draft. Right. Talk to me when we get there. Not on Valentine's Day. He doesn't need to declare that now. Well, I mean, I just I think that the story is being fueled by the fact that he knows he's the number one overall pick. He knows Cincinnati needs a quarterback, and he hasn't pledged himself to Cincinnati. Pledge himself? What is that? I mean, you know, I always talk about. The NFL being having plantation mentality, really? Uh, you need, he needs to pledge himself like he's an 11-year-old Boy Scout? Come on, Tone. What he can do if he wants is say, you he know what? Pick somebody else because I'm not playing for you. We're not there. Why should he go there if he doesn't feel that way? Everybody wants to tell this kid how he should feel. Stop. Just listen up. Listen to what he's saying, not what people are conjuring or reading into it. Well, you asked me, what are you reading into it? And I you, told and the you, answer could is be what nothing. I'm reading into it. How about That's asking the show. me what I'm reading into it? Not it a was, damn thing. It was your turn to ask me. Now it's my turn to ask you. All right. Reaction to the Astros cheating. What are you reading into this? Reaction to the Astros cheating scandal continues to inflame. Nick Markakis of the Atlanta Braves said this morning, quote, I feel like every single guy over there needs a beating. Unquote. He also said of Commissioner Rob Manfred, quote, the way he handled the situation, he should be embarrassed with himself, unquote. This echoes a comment by Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner the other day that Manfred is, quote, out of touch with the players in this game, unquote. Not to mention what Trevor Bauer says every five minutes. But Rob Manfred, a trained labor lawyer, has explained that suspending players will not fly under baseball's labor agreement. Wilbon, should Manfred take any kind of further action or should he just hope it just blows over? Tony, I think you and I were wrong yesterday. Like Rob Manford, you and I were wrong. We said that that was the way to go, to protect the Astros, because you're dealing with serious injury or the possibility of it with beanball wars. That's what you and I said. Oh, yeah, Tony, I don't think they should Tony, be hit in the head. I right. know, but Tony, we miscalculated. Because the temperature out there, we didn't accurately take the temperature of players around the majors, particularly um, in the American League, who basically want the Astros excommunicated. Now, I understand, and Rob Manfred understands that, as a labor lawyer, this would never pass the test that the, that the players themselves have negotiated. But, Tony, he's going to have to come out stronger. He's going to have to reprimand them and take them apart, take them to the woodshed publicly. He's going to have to go further than he's gone, because these players, Tony, they're sincere about this, Aaron Judge has basically come out now and said the same thing. He's taken down congratulatory tweets. It's, it's a hell of a thing. 
and Manfred's going to have to reassess. What I find interesting here is the position of the Major League Baseball Players Association. Because on one hand, they represent all the players, but some of those players are the Astros. So they represent the Astros, and then they represent the Nick Markakis's and Justin Turner's of the world who are against the Astros. That's a difficult line for them to walk. I agree with you that Rob Manfred has miscalculated. He's miscalculated players' anger, although I generally support what he's done. He's miscalculated players' anger. And it begins with Jim Crane. What amazes me is that they didn't have a crisis management team to go to Jim Crane and script exactly what he said. Yes. Because Jim Crane blew this whole thing up. And if I'm Manfred, I'm so angry, I suspend him for at least one year right now. Because I don't know what to do with the players. Joel Sherman of the New York Post had a whole series of things that might happen, some of which are interesting, like don't let any international signings for about three years. I- I'm, I'm like you. I think something has to be done. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what has to be done. You can't take away the trophy because you let the steroid teams keep their trophy. Some want you to. Yeah. Tone, the losing continues in a place where we never suspected it would. Chapel Hill, North Carolina. The Tar Heels lost their sixth straight last night, and Roy Williams lost it like we've never seen them do so publicly. Let's listen. You got two choices. You can uh, you can compete your butt off, or you can get up in the fetal position and curl up and start crying. I'm not going to freaking do that. We're going to excuse me. I apologize to everybody, everybody, everybody. We're going to freaking compete, and that's what we're going to do. With uh, uh, we play Saturday, you can feel sorry for yourself, and you feel sorry for yourself, and you're going to do that the rest of your freaking life. And I apologize. I usually don't. No, I don't know what I'm doing right now. When I way I'm cursing. Tony Old Roy has a body of work that stretches decades, full of sympathetic behavior. You going to cut him some slack here? Okay, so. What he said ultimately was, I don't know what I'm doing here. And we've seen this all year. Roy Williams is looking at a situation that he has never faced in his life. And alternately, when we see him after games, and I wrote the words down, sometimes he seems baffled, sometimes he seems amazed, and most of the time he seems incredulous. Because the University of North Carolina, the University of Dean Smith, the University of Michael Jordan is 10 and 16. And Mike, I'm an old man. The gold standard in college basketball over the course of my life is North Carolina. Duke has had slumps. Kentucky has had slumps. Kansas has had slumps. Everybody's had slumps. UCLA has had slumps. North Carolina, they've had one losing season in 58 years under Matt Doherty, not under Roy, uh, not under Dean in, in that amount of time. This is amazing to me that they're 10 and 16. It's amazing to me, too. Um, we saw something uncharacteristic out of Mike Krzyzewski, something he said to his own students one night fairly recently. And, Tony, I look at the pressures that operate on people like Mike and Roy, who all they do is win. All they do is contend seriously for championships. And I just think as they get older, I think the pressures operate on them in different ways. They are encountering things they never encountered before. And Roy Williams' body of work, you and I always talk about context. Yeah. If you think I'm not going to give Roy a complete oh, sure. pass. Sure. A complete pass. You'd be wrong. Just like I told you when Mike Krzyzewski had that happen, there were all kinds of other things in play there that are going on in college basketball that may have nothing to do with his rant that night. I mean, I, I feel, listen, I feel for, for Roy. I, I mean, you and I know Roy personally a little bit. I feel for him. It doesn't mean that, that I think he can just 
go crazy every night. But this is understandable to me, and I, I don't even know if it's the last time we're going to talk about this. He's never had a losing season. He's going to never. have a losing season. They, they produce pros. They got 14 players in yeah. the NBA. It's, it's an amazing thing to all of us. Let's take a break. Coming up, now that Drew Brees is staying put, is Tom Brady or Matthew Stafford more likely to play for a new team next season? We're going to get that Tom Brady moving thing in the show, aren't we? And their rematch is on Saturday. Who's the more compelling fighter? Wilder or Fury? You know what would help the Astros? Say we cheated. Use the word. We cheated. It's time for Toss Up, the game of two choices. My answer and the wrong answer. What's first? Toss Up, more likely to play for a new team this season. Tom Brady or Matthew Stafford? So this has been bubbling up recently that somehow the Lions want to get rid of Matthew Stafford in one of these mock draft things, Mel Kuyper is saying that the Lions are going to take Tua. Tua. Let me just state for the record that if the Lions get rid of Matthew Stafford, they're insane. They were 0-8 last year without Matthew Stafford. I don't think either of these guys is going anywhere. I don't. But I would be less surprised, Mike, if Brady went somewhere wow. else. They talk about the Raiders and they talk about the Chargers and maybe the Titans all in the AFC. Again, I think both are staying. But you're crazy to get rid of Stafford. I know my friend of 100 years, Larry Fitzgerald Sr., has reported that the Raiders are ready to pony up some money for Brady. It doesn't mean Brady's going to want to take That's that right. money and go play there. Right. So, Tony, I think Stafford, because Detroit does stupid you-know-what all the time. Right. Okay. All the time. Stupid. They make stupid moves. And they lose players like Megatron and Barry Sanders Stupid. earlier than they should. Be Tony, dumb. the Be answer dumb. is Stafford. Next. Toss-up, more likely to get upset tonight. Number one, Baylor, or number five, Dayton. So my friend, Mike, and your friend, Jimmy Crilly, went to Dayton. And he's scared of tonight's game at VCU. Because Dayton has lost the last three times at VCU. Now, I'm going to go to the glasses here because I want to be right. Dayton's won 14 games in a row, but VCU is 13-2 and two at home. Baylor has won 22 in a row. And if they beat Oklahoma, that's 23 straight, 23 straight uh, uh, Big 12 games. You know what? I think they what? might look past Oklahoma because they got Kansas next. I yeah, think Kansas both could go, Mike. That's both. where I'm going. This is that season, Tony. It doesn't matter what you're ranked. It doesn't matter who you're playing. It doesn't matter how rarely you've been ranked over. It's really cool to see Dayton up there right now. You know, that that goes back a, a Midwestern school of, of sure. my youth to some degree. I, I'm happy to see Dayton there. But, Tony, I think they both could and very likely will go down. I go back to Dayton with Donnie May. That's like 50 Ooh, years ago. It's a long time. Good. Next. Toss-up. They fight on Saturday. Who's the more compelling fighter, Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury? So let's just step back for a second on this and look at these names, Wilder and Fury. How great is that for boxers, Wilder and Fury? They are vastly different fighters. Um, they look so different. Wilder is totally sculpted and throws bombs, like just real... Haymakers. The other guy, Fury, is actually sort of flabby and taunts people in the ring. Uh, the last fight ended in a draw, even though Fury went down twice. I think I'll just take a wild stab at Fury being more compelling, only because 
He sells fights well. He's a very good interview. He sometimes goes too far with what he says, but he's out there selling all the time. Tony, it is still, this has to do with race in the world, not just America. <coughs> it's Tyson Fury, excuse me, because we don't see this that often. I know the Klitschko's have been out there for a while, but when you see this, this is historically going back to Jack Johnson. Yeah. I mean, there's only a handful of white heavyweight champions in the, in the, in the hundred and now what, 25 year history of the modern heavyweight championship belt. And so when you see, when I see Fury out there, I'm going, wow, I can't wait to see this fight. You better stay awake. I will try. I will call your house. Call my house. I will wake you up a Please million call. times. Please Carol, call. Give me wake a call. his sorry butt up. Next. Last one. Toss up. Who looks more GQ in GQ? James Harden or Russell Westbrook? So I'm trying to figure out what it means to look more GQ. I wonder if it means you will wear clothes in public that no sane human being would ever wear. Or I wonder if it means you go out in the first round of the playoffs all the time. Or I wonder if it means uh, you won't pass the ball to the other guy on your team until there's less than four seconds left in the shot clock. I look at you, Mike. I think you are better dressed than all of these people, and you don't wear a lot of fringe, and they wear a lot of fringe. I was never a GQ guy. I tried to be an IQ guy and failed at that as well. Tony, I might have been a GQ guy 40 years ago. Now all the fashion magazines, 90% of the time, feature edgy people wearing things like runway models that yeah. you're never going to see. Now, the difference is, and I'll give them credit for this, Harden and Westbrook will wear it. Yep. They'll wear it to the game. Yep. And so this is yep. not my style of dress, I, but I applaud them. You know, Dwayne Wade can be edgy, but Dwayne can also be classic. And so I tend to go with, say, D-Wade, my man, more than Westbrook and Hart. But I give them credit for going out there, and yeah. people love the way that Tony, we're too old. Nobody our age walks anywhere without his shirt. We just don't do it. No. That's no. it. Once again, Kornheiser, four for four. Let's take one last break. Still to come, is everyone making too much of Giannis saying he'd like to play with his brothers in Milwaukee or L.A.? And how impressed should we be? with Marcus Johnson's 64th birthday dunk. Well, I couldn't dunk at 64, but I couldn't dunk at 24. So I think it's a big deal. Happy time, people. Happy belated 64th birthday to Marcus Johnson. The actual date was February 8th, and in honor of his birthday, the former UCLA All-American and five-time NBA All-Star decided to dunk. Unlike Aaron Gordon, who dunked over Taco Fall, Marcus Johnson dunked over two actual tacos, which were placed on the ground for this event. Watching, you'll see Johnson easily dunk the ball at 64. Will you still feed me? Will you still need me when I'm 64? Boom. Tony, there was a time between Julius Irving's best and Larry Bird establishing himself when I thought Marcus Johnson was the best forward in the game. I know it wasn't a long time, but I thought he was. Happy anniversary, Nate Robinson. On this day 14 years ago, you won your first of three NBA dunk contests with a controversial victory over Andre Iguodala. Robinson needed 14 attempts no. before completing his final dunk, which prompted changes in the rules for future contests. Nate Robinson, a surprise entry in the celebrity game last Friday night. He tried to embarrass Wilbon, but Wilbon's superior coaching thwarted the little man, sent him into the corner without supper. Wilbon, what were the keys to defending Nate Robinson? Well, I had... Uh, common and famous low sub top 
And I had the ageless one, Horace, my man, Grant, to block Nate if he decided to come anywhere near the rim. Happy trails to the avalanche. Colorado went down in overtime last night to the Tampa Bay Lightning, who collected their 11th win in a row. That's the longest winning streak in franchise history and the longest in the NHL this season. After posting the best record in the league last year, the Lightning started slowly this year, perhaps still jolted by their first-round playoff sweep at the hands of the Blue Jackets, but they have risen to the second-highest point total in the NHL behind the Bruins. Wilbon, are you all in on the Ning this year? Well, Tony, they've been buzzing around for several years. This is not new. Not a big market team. They don't get the attention of, say, the original six, but they're a good franchise. Yeah, except last year in the playoffs, early out. Big finish. Here we go. Ryan Newman reported to be awake and speaking with his family and doctors after a scary crash at Daytona yesterday. Your thoughts? There's only one thought. Good. It looks so much worse. Glad it sounds like he's on the road to recovery. The athletic reports, the Panthers believe Cam Newton will pass his physical come March. What does that mean? It means they can keep him because he would be healthy or they could trade him and trade somebody healthy. But he could play there. The Rockets are signing Jeff Green and Damari Carroll. Is that significant? Yeah, Tony, I think it is. Versatility and depth. And those two guys give you that. Giannis tells Sports Pulse that he would love to play with his brothers in Milwaukee or L.A. something or nothing. It's nothing right now, although when he's a free agent, everybody looks at L.A. They all do. Last one, LSU host number 10, Kentucky. Who you got? Tony, it's time for Kentucky to get going. If they're going to make a move, tonight's that night. We're out of time. We will try and do better the next time. And I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mike Wilbon. Same time tomorrow, Knucklehead. You can get the podcast on the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.